you may have somebody that either doesn't want to pound, right? They don't want to like have to load up their joints or, you know, even an older individual that may not even have the, the ability to do that right now. You can use this blood flow restriction and, and really do a low dose of exercise and still get a really interesting response. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by the Mike Reinold. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new in my neck of the woods, and what I am looking forward to this week. So, man, let's get right into it. Lots of good things last week, coaching, training, all the good stuff. The weather was beautiful. It was like 60s and like even 70 here on Saturday, which was amazing. Uh, Kendall wrapped up, had her final cookie booth, uh, so she was excited to be done with that. Saturday, Cade had like all the things booked. I don't think we planned it like this, but he had a basketball game at 11, which he won, which means he had to play later in the day. So we had a basketball game at 11, came home, had lunch, went to this huge indoor trampoline park where he went and bounced and ran around with his friends for like an hour, had pizza and cake, and then had another basketball game at three, which unfortunately they lost. But then even when all that was done, at the back end, he got two pieces uh, of artwork submitted to the school, like the district art fair. So that was pretty exciting for him. So Saturday was a little bananas, uh, especially because it was 70. Like we wanted to be outside and, you know, doing more active stuff. It was great. But it was nice to come home at the end of the day, walk with the dog, spend some time outside. We grilled out, and all in all, pretty solid weekend. Uh, And then as far as this week goes, lots of focus on this Complete Coach Seminar. Very, very excited to do this. First time I've ever taken this event live on the road. And I think part of the reason I'm so excited about it is when you go to a lot of events these days, you're basically just getting lectured to for two or three days. And I'll I'll be frank, like I love Con Ed as much as the next person, but I mean, I just don't always learn the best. I learn the best in a live format, in a live setting, but I don't learn the best when I'm just getting lectured to and I'm stationary for two, two and a half, three days. So big emphasis on this weekend is what do you need to know? Like what are the core things that you need to know that I needed to deliver to you in a lecture format? And then how can we make the rest of the event as hands-on, as integrated as possible? Because I feel like that's what's really going to make a big impact. Like I learn a lot better when I'm active and I'm involved in the learning process versus just being lectured to. So got my work cut out for me. I I've kind of got pieces of it put together. I've got other parts that are outlined that I need to put into a PowerPoint, you know, there's a lot of work, (laughs) as you can imagine, not to mention the just the logistics of it, because we're not just doing the seminar itself. But, you know, we're doing a dinner Friday night, Saturday, I think we're going to do some sort of event, I think we're going to end up doing axe throwing, like it's going to be fun, because I just hate going to an event and one getting lectured to, but second feeling like, I don't know, like I just lost a whole weekend. So I'm going to make a big emphasis that we're going to learn some stuff we're going to have a lot of fun in in the meantime as well. So, man, that's what's new in my neck of the woods. I hope you're having an amazing week. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Mike Reinold. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. 
Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Mike Reinold is a world-renowned and award-winning clinician, researcher, and educator. As a physical therapist, athletic training, and strength and conditioning coach, he specializes in all aspects of sports performance and rehabilitation. Mike is currently the co-founder of Champion PT and Performance in Boston, Massachusetts, and senior medical advisor for the Chicago White Sox. In previous years, he's worked at prestigious institutions like the American Sports Medicine Institute, Massachusetts General Hospital, and as head athletic trainer and physical therapist for the Boston Red Sox. He is the president-elect of the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy, and he has authored dozens of publications, lectured at national conferences, and has an educational website, podcast, and online courses at MikeReinold.com. Now in this show, Mike and I take a deep dive into the world of blood flow restriction training. We cover what it is, what it does, who should be using it, and even tap into the practical side like protocols and workouts that you should be using. Whether you're doing BFR on a regular basis or just hoping to learn the ropes, I think this podcast has something for everyone in it. But enough for me, let's do this. Mike, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Oh, man. That's a tough one. I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll at least start by saying thank you for having me, Mike. Um, obviously, one of my favorite podcasts that we've been listening to for years now. How many years have you been doing this? It's like six, dude. It's, I'm, Isn't that I'm, crazy? If it's, if it's not six, it's close to six. Yeah. That, that's amazing. You know, congrats for doing it that long. Thank and, you. And thank you. Thank you for having me and for how much you do. Like, so I'll tell your audience here how, how I just, you know, told Mike, he's one of my favorite strength coaches of all time. So um, it's an honor to be on and, and to be part of this because I've learned so much from you. So hopefully I can help. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Mike, um, PT, athletic trainer, strength coach. Uh, I do a little bit of everything, but I have a, uh, a clinic up in Boston, a big sports performance gym and a PT clinic called Champion PT and Performance. Um, I'm also helping out the White Sox now, um, soon to be the president of the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapist. So I got a lot of weird projects I'm working <laughs> on, but, uh, um, you know, for me, it's, it's still, it's all about being like a clinical educator in my mind. It's all, it's still about just like, still like, you know, like I'm at champion right now. I just, you know, working on people all day and working with people out in the gym and then, you know, go teach, teach what we do to others. So that, I think that's why, you know, I really resonate from your educational style too, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And, you know, I think we talked about this maybe very briefly at the start, but it's hard to believe. I think, so I've been doing the show six years. I think it's been at least four, if not five, since I've had you on. Now, obviously, some things have changed since then. So what's new in your neck of the woods? Like, what has changed for you in the last five years? Yeah, I was I was mildly holding a grudge. I thought maybe like we had a falling out. That I was or something <laughs> you like. didn't know about. <laughs> uh, I'm never bringing Mike back on. Uh, no, I mean, you know, it, with anything like the last four or five years, I think um, what what I've been really fortunate to do is the people around me know this. And if you heard me on other podcasts and stuff, they know that like I'm like a maniacal systemizer. Right. I love process. <laughs> I love systems like I, I actually like the like building things. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, I've spent a lot of time like building out champion, building out my online, you know, presence and stuff like that. But I've built it in a, enough way where I've built some great teams around me that if I had to say like what's changed for me most in the last four or five years is that I, I feel like my role has has evolved more to like a servant leader, right? Where I, I sincerely say that like I've, I've done pretty much everything I want to do with my career. It's not about me anymore. It's about helping everybody else, the people around me, the, the people in my team, it's about helping them leapfrog me to get what they want out of their careers now. So it's funny, like, and I'm sure you've gone through this at, at some point in your career, but when you get to that point where your focus is on helping the others around you, everything not only becomes less stressful, but it becomes more fun. Yes. And guess what happens in the long run? 
you become more successful somehow. Yeah. It's like amazing how it worked. So, yeah. um, so I mean, that, that's for me, I've been just working on, on leading and building good teams and helping others achieve their goals. And it's been a blast. I love it, man. I love it. And if you're cool with it, I think what I'd like to focus on here today, because you're one of those people, like we could talk about a million things, right? We could talk about knees, shoulders, hips, backs, but I would love to talk about BFR or blood flow restriction training today, because I know this is something you're excited about, you're passionate about. So for the people listening in, if they've never heard of it, what is BFR and what originally got you into it? Like, why were you like, oh yeah, this sounds exciting. I'm going to check this out. I like it. Yeah. Uh, BFR, is, it, it's, it's really neat. So like you said, blood flow restriction training um, originally came from a technique called Katsu, which is from Japan, right? And it's been used for, you know, much longer than people here in America think, right? It's been one of those things that I think we're, um, you know, building popularity in other countries before we, we got it to the point here in the States where we started to get a little bit more like scientific about it. Like, let's research it. Let's, right. let's not just, you know, kind of just jump right in. But like in a nutshell, what it involves is like placing something around your extremity. So your arms, your legs, like a band, a cuff, a strap, something like that um, to restrict the amount of blood flow that goes into that limb. And when you restrict it, it starts a cascade of events in your body that essentially help you get strength, right? And it's kind of one of those things, like, I don't know why you would ever think of it, right? <laughs> you know, like maybe the, maybe the physiologists in the world, like this is a no-brainer for them. But for us clinically, you're just you, you, like, at first you see it and you say, okay, you know, we've been doing this a long time, Mike, like there's a lot of fads that come and go. Yes. Yes. So we, we kept an eye on it. We watched it evolve to one of those things where, okay, the pro athletes were starting to get into it like five, six years ago. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's effective. That just means it's popular. Right. 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 But it, I feel like it really took that next step. And there's some great people out there. Like Johnny Owens is like probably one of our like leading researchers in this field. Like, um, you know, with, with his company, they've done just so many great things in terms of research that actually it's shown us now that, heck, this thing's real. And yeah. it's gone to the point where it's effective. It's scientifically based now that I think we, we, we can move forward. Um, I can't say we 100% with certain understand the science, right. um, but there's, there's a lot of hypotheses that about why it's happening. I don't think we have definitive proof yet, but there is no doubt that using blood flow restriction training or doing exercises with these cuffs on is effective at gaining strength. But here's the really cool part. What it does is it allows you to exercise with low loads. Mm -hmm. So meaning less weight and still get the same strength benefits as if you were using a heavy load. Right. And for the physical therapy and rehab world, that is amazing. Yeah. Right. Now you have somebody that's post-operative, right. Maybe, or, or an acute injury where maybe their tissue doesn't have the capacity to handle like 80% of a one rep max that, that they would normally be doing for their training. We can now have them work out in like even down to the 20% of one rep max and they still get the same strength benefits as if they would if they were doing the heavy loads. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, so cool. I, I love that. And like you alluded to, I've got, you know, a couple athletes that I've had over the years where as soon as I got switched onto this and I'm going through your course, which we'll talk about later. But like, as soon as you started mentioning some of these things, I'm like, damn, I wish I could have used it on this person or that person. And whether it's a, a post-op rehab type person or, you know, sometimes you just have like these older athletes, right? They've been in the game 10, 15, 20 years. They're a little bit beat up. Man, they're not really trying to go in the gym and bang out 1RM squats. But if you can take them in there and you can, <laughs> right, use, right. You can use some of these other tools, right? Like, hey, and not to say you don't ever push, you know, the outputs, but hey, now you can really dial those days back and focus on some of this stuff to help build some 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 strength in the tissues you know, support all of those underlying things without just blowing up their joints in the process. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's a great one. We have, obviously we have the injured or the post-operative person that has restrictions. That's an obvious one, but I like how you said that right there. And I think if you own a gym or you're working at a gym, 
I mean, there's so many people that you probably have for clients that either are still building their capacity and they don't want to just blow it out because, you know, they're a 45 year old that has to go to work tomorrow, right? They don't want right. to, they don't, right. don't want to not be able to walk up the stairs like some of our athletes, right? But, um, you know, you may have somebody that either doesn't want to pound, right? They don't want to like have to load up their joints or, 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 you know, even an older individual that may not even have the, the ability to do that right now. You can use this blood flow restriction. And, and really do a low dose of exercise and still get a really interesting response. And, you know, the sky's the limit, right? Like your creativity starts to take over, like you said, of like, oh, this would be a great person I could do this with, or this would be, I, I wish I could have done it with this person. And I think that's what we're finding. It's, it's, a, it's a really neat thing. Yeah, I love it, man. So when it comes to application with your rehab people, how are you applying it? Are you doing more like isolated type stuff? Are you doing more integrated big bang exercises? Like what have you found to be successful? I, I, that's a great question because there's a few ways you can do it, right? If somebody's injured, right? Or somebody has a specific weakness. So let's say like their quads weak, yeah. right? That's a very common situation for a lot of people injured post-operative, man, you have ACL reconstruction right now. The chances of your quad being strong at six months isn't that good. Right. Right. So, you know, we're actually, you know, you start to think like, what are we going to do in the future of like post-operative needs? It could be really, really neat. But um, you have that person that's like, you know, two, three, four weeks after surgery and then that isolated quad weakness now beforehand, like think about it, we couldn't load the quad. So we would just have to do so like just high volume, low intensity type things that you could argue maybe weren't even super effective. Right. So we'll put BFR and work isolated weak muscles. So muscles that need strengthening in an isolated fashion. So knee extensions, wherever it may be, just as an example, we'll work that for that isolated muscle, do that all the time. Hmm. Um, And then I think as they evolve, what we start to do is we'll still work on that isolated strength, but then we'll start like kind of building out those functional movements a little bit. So as we get to like lunge, step, squat, you know, deadlift type things like and those those people, what we'll probably do is combine some of the BFR with a low load with traditional high load exercises as much as we can. So that way you almost get like a double benefit of those two. So, you know, that's how we try to transition it. But other things like that are, that, you know, would, were, are surprisingly effective is let's say, again, you have somebody with an acute injury or post-operative knee, something like that. You could just put the BFR cuffs on their legs and have them ride the bike for 10 minutes. And it's very impactful. So yeah. it helps with their strength. They're gassed, by the way. So you should try that on yourself, too, <laughs> Is, yeah. is just just get get on the airdyne bike or whatever and, and and ride that like you would with the cuffs on um and it's dramatically different but within their workload capacity at that time right so it's 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 a really neat way to to start progressing people you know what's been really interesting and and i know you've kind of got your ear to the streets and you know what's going on in our space but it's been really interesting to see like you know the pendulum swings in the fitness space, right? So when I was growing up, like I remember going to the gym with my dad and it's just selectorized machines everywhere, right? Just Nautilus machines everywhere. And then like everything was like, had to be functional and free weights. And if you were on any kind of machine or you used a Smith machine, like you were like laughed at. And so now it's interesting to see us coming back. Hopefully we'll land somewhat in the middle, but like, hey, maybe there's a use for some of these machines that we threw out 15, 20 years ago, you know, like, Hey, in this case, somebody needs a quad. Like there could be worse things than using a BFR cuff and using a leg extension to get that quad back. Exactly. Right. And it, it always cracks me up. I don't know where this came from. Don't worry, There are scientific studies that have been published in journals that compare two groups. This group does isolated strengthening. This thing, this group does functional strength, you know, whatever. Right. So whatever that means. So knee extension versus like lunges, for example, right? That right. would be a, t- a type of study. And you know what they always show that like they're both effective, maybe one slightly more effective, but I always tell everybody, right? This is like peanut butter and chocolate. They're better together. Right. right? We don't have to pick one of them. Like, so for somebody like we, one of the things we do at champion, one of our big kind of concepts is that a weak muscle really can't help. It can't stabilize. It can't, it can't produce torque. So for us, we want to work on isolated strengthening 
as well as movement patterns. So yes. we we strengthen muscles and we load movements. Mm. I think that's like one of like our our concepts, and that's not like that's not earth shattering, right? I know that's not like even unique, right? But we'll load a squat pattern, but we will strengthen a quadricep, you know. Yes. And I, I think there's a time and a place for both, and it depends on the person that's right in front of you. Yeah, I love it, man. That's great. Okay, so something you had mentioned there piqued my interest because I have heard about people using the cuffs to elicit a stronger aerobic training effect as well. So is that something that you've you've messed around with? Like, I, I don't know. I, I am not as well versed in that area. I haven't read as much on that. But is that something you've used and dabbled with? So, so people, we, we cuffs have been used for aerobic training with success, but the success continues to point towards more like strength and, uh, you know, like mitigation of atrophy or something like that, like yep. with somebody that's deconditioned. Um, and it's funny, there's even some studies like on, you know, on just walking with them in like an elderly population or even just sitting there and pumping them up and deflating them and not even exercise. Yeah. Right. So, so there's all these different spectrums. So there's a lot of research on, on during aerobic training using those, but, um, I think there's still a lot of theories about the benefits on aerobic capacity. Mm. Um, I think just that part is, is still part of like our scientific, like, like hole that we're trying to fill right now. There are some early kind of, kind of things that are pointing in that direction that it should be helpful. But I think that's definitely something in terms of aerobic capacity, but using it during aerobic training and having some, some strength and hypertrophy type benefits are definitely uh, some things that we have seen. Yeah. You know, kind of steering back to this idea of using the bike, I think one of the things that I like about that idea, because again, when you talk about like activities that can help you load a muscle, right, without putting too much stress on it, you're thinking more like concentric activities, right? So like a backward sled drag would work really well. So like, that's one of the things Wow, I just said like about a thousand times too. <laughs> but <laughs> but just thinking like with my basketball guys, right? That's something that I'll use quite a bit is I'll put them on just instead of that, not even the airdyne, I'll put them on the spin bike and just have them turn up the resistance to build some quad strength and quad capacity. And I'm they're always shocked at like, oh wow, like I really feel my quads. Even the guys that struggle to feel a quad per se can feel it on that. So that's definitely something I'm going to have to try is combining that that spin bike with a little bit of loading with the BFR to see what kind of response I get because I could see that being very beneficial. Right, and think about it, especially with your basketball athletes without impact loading. Yes, yes, that's that's huge, and and yes. that's where the excitement comes in. Like, is you have like an impact athlete, like a basketball player in season, as an example. You're trying to maintain strength, maybe even build in some people, right? We're trying to at least maintain strength in a sport where they're just pounding, pounding, pounding on the hardwood, right? Yeah. So you know, like ankle, knee pain, stuff like that from from those types of things. That those those will will just cause issues with them over time. Right. This is a great strategy to get them in a a low load low impact environment and still get some strength maintenance. It's, it's great. That's awesome, man. Okay. So when you and I first started going back and forth on this, one of the things that you mentioned is that BFR is a great tool, right? But it's also not this be all end all of training. And again, you've been in this space long enough, you know, people are very quick to hype up. This is like the best thing ever. So with that being said, are there any specific times or instances where you wouldn't use BFR with a client or athlete? Well, assuming no like medical contraindications, like like heart problems, stuff like that. Assuming that, like, um, because that's always something. Like, if somebody has you know heart issues or something like that, you get some medical clearance. Um, it's been proven to be super safe in people, right? Yeah. So that that part we're not too worried about, but you still want to get clearance. But assuming that type of thing, I think sometimes where we get carried away with the application is, I still think, and I know you agree with this. I'm going to assume you agree with this. Is like we still need a load. Yes. We can't always work in a low load environment. We're actually a little nervous. We talk about this internally quite a bit that if you always do low impact but get strong, are we not building the same tendon strength, the tendon capacity, or maybe like the interaction between muscle tendon, tendon bone, that type of thing? So, uh, a study actually just came out on the Achilles that showed it did have good properties on the Achilles, but past studies on like patellar tendon, for example, have shown maybe it isn't. So we still don't 100% know, but I think what it goes back to show is that it's 
It's a great tool if somebody has the inability to load to be able to get a good strength response in a low load environment. But it shouldn't ever take the place of high load training as well for people that can. It can complement it. Yes. Right. But it's it's not like that, uh, you know, that sort of thing. The second problem, this is probably what we were texting about, I think, at the time or whatever it was. It was careful when you first try it. (laughs) If you put it on and you include a decent amount and and you don't decrease the load enough or use too much load, you could really overdo it really easy, really fast. Yes. Right. So if you're having people and we've all probably done it because we all wanted to test the limits on ourselves. <laughs> but if you're having like a, a ridiculous amount of, of delayed onset muscle soreness from that, you did too much load. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think people always want to over assume their strength levels. So I just did this. Right. I did it the first time ever today. Right. And I was like, okay, the, the generally uh, prescribed or like research protocol is the 30, 15, 15, 15, right? So you do yep, 30 yep. reps. Now imagine, first of all, like I'm a power lifter still at heart. Like I don't, I don't push the heaviest weights anymore, but like anything over like eight feels like cardio to me. So doing 30 mm-hmm. reps is a lot of reps. So when I did these curls today, literally I was using a 10 pound dumbbell and I was just right. shocked at the end of that protocol. Like, oh my gosh, first of all, like the difference between sides and this is like two hours later, I can still feel just the swell in my left arm versus my right. So, you know, like, don't All right, so, go ahead. If anybody's listening to this right now, I want you to go on Twitter right now. I want you to tweet at Mike and say, <laughs> how long did it take for your for your doms to go away? Because oh my gosh. That's the question we're going to find. But so so question for you is what do you think your one rep max? And I know that's an aggressive thing on a bicycle. But what do you right. think what one rep max on a bicycle is? I mean, legitimately, I guess like, I don't know, 50, 50, 55, something like that. I don't know. Like it's not something you go and you test your one rep max on. But I was like, exactly, I don't know. Right. So I just kind of right. guessed me. I'm like, and for me, I was grab, like, grab a 10. <laughs> I'm literally going to go way lighter than I think. Because one of my one of my basketball guys told me, you know, he's going through some rehab stuff right now. And I was like, hey, you know, I got this thing and, you know, I want to try it. He's like, oh, I've already tried it. And he's like, this is absolutely the worst thing I've ever done in a weight room. So he <laughs> so he kind of scared me off. I'm like, oh, bro, I've had it for like a week and a half. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm just going to leave that in the, the case well, for right now. I think there's a lot of people listening right now that would think, Doing a 10-pound bicep up to 75 times, even without blood flow restriction tra- training, would cause some soreness yeah. to, to begin with. Right? And that's something we're not used to a lot of times. 75 reps. It's a lot of reps. Yes. Right? Um, and, the, and the reason why it goes 30, 15, 15, 15 is you're intentionally trying to smoke yourself in that first set. Right. You're trying to get get to failure almost on that first set. So that way, when, when you have that minimal break and you don't get the blood flow back, like your body is sending an extra response to like, Hey, let's, 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 let's get some healing going on in this environment. So, um, it's an intentional design that way to be that way. So, um, if if an athlete says that it crushed them, then that means they, they didn't load it appropriately. Probably they probably did too much. Ah, okay. That's interesting. Okay. So let's, let's stay on this topic. Go ahead. Well, I was going on this topic, and I think this is good. Is think about this right now. If you were to stand up right now and just do a, a body weight squat, right? Yeah. You're doing low load with zero restriction. You have blood flow restriction, which is zero, right? Right, and then you have the spectrum. Like you can slowly start restricting that blood flow. You know, up to twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent, fifty, sixty, seventy. You, you know what I mean? Like you can do that. It, the higher you are in the blood flow restriction spectrum, the faster you will fatigue. Yeah. Right. And then now play with the load now. So if you have a, lo- a high load, high restriction, you'll fatigue even faster. Yeah. Right. So this is where the dosage really comes in. It's not only just about the, the, the percent of the rep max. It's also your percentage of limb occlusion pressure that mm-hmm. we talk about. And, and that's why when, when you're picking out a device, you know, and again, I'm a scientist, I'm a physical therapist, right? Like I, you know, published in the literature and stuff like we focus on, I want to be as specific as possible. So yes. we prefer the cuffs that have specified amounts of pressure where you can say, I want this exact pressure and it measures your pressure and then strategically applies the right pressure for you. Because if you want to get consistent, reliable outcomes as safe as possible, you have to measure the limb occlusion pressure and make sure you're you're exercising at the right percentage of that if you want to be precise. So don't get me wrong. You can go on Amazon right now 
and buy $10 straps and just like choke your arm and do these <laughs> exercises. And, and to be honest with you, there is some science showing that if like, if, you know, you can estimate pretty good, you know, the pressure, it's not the worst thing in the world, but I think we can do better. I think we can be more precise with that. Mm, I like that a lot. Okay. So let's go with that because kind of the generally accepted principle is like 20 to 30% of your one RM. What percentage of limb occlusion are you starting with? But so it, I, I usually start people off easy because like your player you talk to, I don't ever want them to do it once and say that was the worst experience ever. Yes, right. Yes, I, exactly. I, I think I think we and even yourself, I think. So, you know, it tells me a lot about your personality, right? It tells me about everybody's personality. It's the it's the old Seinfeld joke. We're dating ourselves now, Mike, but right. It's like, <laughs> what's maximum strength, right? Like, find what's about to kill me and I'll just take a little bit less, right? Like, right. I, I I want to start in the middle and then slowly build up to your, your envelope of function versus at starting at the top and then failing and then have to back yes. off. Yes. Right. So, so, so for us, that's where we start with. So, uh, and even like arm versus legs different, like I'd say, you know, max on the leg, we might do 80% limit occlusion pressure, but we'd never do that on the arm. I can probably do more like 50 on the arm, but I might start somebody, you know, half that even more uh, on both of those to, to, to kind of take that win and then slowly build up. So that way they get some, some, you know, uh, you know, they're used to it a little bit. Yeah. Dude, you literally just described what I do with exercise selection. Like to a T. <laughs> like, why do you take somebody in the gym? Like, okay, 50 year old gin pop fat loss client, you know, hasn't moved in 15 years. Why would you take them in the gym and have them do lunge to overhead press on day one, right? Like they're not going to be <laughs> right, successful. Right. Yeah. So start them in a split squat where they're supported on the rack. And if they are okay with that, like that's great. Keep them there. If they kill it, then it's like, oh, hey, that's a hype moment. Like, hey, you killed that. Like we're going to go on to the next activity. <laughs> right. Versus like psychologically, that's such a big shift versus I am going to crush your soul today so that next time right. you come in, you're going to dread <laughs> seeing me. Like nobody wants that. I don't know. Right. right. You know what? It's like that Wordle thing now. I'm going to date the podcast now. This is going to yeah. be like so not cool in a year. Yeah. So are you doing that Wordle thing? That, I'm, that, I'm not. That I've, had, <laughs> I've had people that talk about it, but I've not done it yet. No. So so the Wordle was really cool. Everybody was having a blast. It was a good time. Then the, the, this is the story I'm hearing. The New York Times bought it. And now all of a sudden, like they're trying to like keep it going. And the words are just getting so hard that people aren't as successful as they used to be. So now they don't like the game anymore. Mm, right. Like you yeah. don't want to play a game where you lose. You want to win. Right. So, yep. you know, like, you know, you, you'd never start off with that. Like we call that the minimum effective dose. Right. You want yep. to find out, you know, how do we get the most benefit from the least amount of, uh, of dose that we can possibly do and then build from there. And like you said, that's how you build self-confidence. Right. You don't especially the gen pop client. They come into your gym. You don't want them to leave there embarrassed or feeling bad about themselves or feeling like they don't belong because they can't match the people that they witness training next to them right yeah. you want them to go and say like wow i crushed my my coach's program today i want to come back tomorrow um same thing with bfr same thing like yeah. if, if if you don't want to use it the second time that means you're too aggressive with it the first time wow that's fantastic advice okay so if somebody has heard this right so again I just hear it's the worst thing ever. How do you sell this? Or maybe how do you explain or set an expectation to your clients and athletes when you're going to introduce this? Like, how do you explain it to them? How is it going to benefit them? Like, break it down for us into like layman's terms so that we would know like, hey, if this is something I want to invest in or something I want to explore, this is how I should explain it to my people. Yeah, and I, I and I talk like that all the time to my people. I try to be as simple as we can with our messages. So um, when we introduce it, we say like, "Hey, you know, we're going to try this new thing because it is a little goofy, right? Like I'm going to put a blood pressure cuff on your leg and inflate it up. It feels weird, right? Right. So we, but when you explain it to them, we say like, "Hey, there's anything, you know, the the science, you know, it's, it's showing it's it's really safe. We're not worried about that, but it's been super effective." Basically, like, you know how right now, like, you don't, you don't feel ready to, to do a squat, for example, um, you know, we can get some of the same benefits by doing an exercise with this cuff on and, and, and you'll feel so much better. You know, it, you explain to them a little bit that like, Hey, we're going to be able to get similar strength gains, but at a low load and everybody's in on it. Right. Yeah. When they do it, they're going to, if, so let's say a post-op patient is a good example at a PT clinic, they're doing like basic straight leg raises, knee extensions. Most of the time they're not gassed afterwards. Right. right. <laughs> 
but you do it with BFR that first time, even if it's a little bit like you're on the lower side of the dose of it, right? They will feel like, wow, I am a lot more tired at the end. And that's when you got them because yeah. they didn't do much more. They still feel like what they did was within their capacity, yep. but their body was like, wow, I'm a lot more tired. So again, they're, they're on board with that. They're saying, okay, that must be effective. I'm tired. Right. Right. So that's what you want to do. If they can't walk because they've delayed onset muscle soreness tomorrow, then yeah, I mean, we just did too much. That's, right. You know, but that, so it's a learning curve. Bad for them, good for you. Right. Right. You, can, you learn from it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So last but not least, we talked a little bit about this 30, 15, 15, 15 protocol. Seems to be the most widely researched. I would love for you to kind of give us an idea of just what that that looks like. I mean, we already kind of talked about the reps, but just talk about the rest periods and then maybe along those same lines, are there other protocols that we should have on our radar? Because I know you are deep in the research when it comes to this stuff. So is there anything else that you've seen that might be beneficial or things that we should be looking out for? Yeah, the, the 30, 15, 15, 15 has, has been popularized in science uh, because it's it's very easy to reproduce, right? And the, yep. a, a good bunch of studies at the beginning did that. So we've continued to replicate that. Um, I know other experts at this that say 30, 30, 30, just three, mm. three sets of 30, 30, 30, right? Um, and you can see even that, that's that's 90 reps. So we went from right. 75 to 90 reps total. Um, I, I, I think, again, it comes to this spectrum of you have... You have volume, you have load, and you have limb occlusion pressure. Those three variables all play together, right? Again, you can do a squat right now with high volume. How many body weight squats could you do right now until you feel tired? I mean, I have no idea. Probably not. A lot. <laughs> yeah. A yeah, lot. Yeah. <laughs> like like no load. You're just doing a mini squat, like a body right. weight squat right there. You can do that hundreds of times, right? Right. So what, what you do is you either add load or you add some limb occlusion pressure, and then that becomes more tiring. And then you slowly kind of play with those dose. So- we do use the 30, 15, 15, 15, because it's been the most researched. Yeah. I want to be as effective as possible. When you're going through that process, you should be pretty tired after that first set. That's, that's the point. And then for the 15, 15, 15, I want you to slowly feel like maybe that second set's 15. Maybe that third set's 14. Maybe that third set is 12. Yeah. Right. Like meaning like like you, you should be pushing the envelope a little bit with that where it's tired. If you're not, then either your load's too low or what I would probably play with for this scenario is you need a little bit more limb occlusion pressure. Okay. Right. And and that's how you, you, you feel you should do it. So we do that. There's a one minute break in between where you keep cuff inflated, right? So that we still have the restriction of blood flow. And that's what happens. You have that accumulation of metabolites, you have that hypoxic kind of environment that you create. And what you're essentially doing is you're tricking your body into thinking it just had an intense workout, yep. even though the, the load wasn't what they were expecting. So I'd still recommend that that load like sequence, that set rep scheme, just because it's the most researched. Yep. And I look, we all have limited time with the people we work with and they have limited time with what they have to train. So let's just, let's be as like reliable and consistent as we can. Yeah. I love it, man. And if you do the math on that, cause too often, I think time under tension or like tempo, people just assume that that's just something we randomly prescribe versus thinking about how that actually applies to like set length and physiology, like, right. you know, that changes things, right? You can do that, that protocol in like eight minutes. So you can get a lot of bang for your buck in a very short period of time. So, right, right, and you're not you're not doing like like forty five minutes of exercise with this on. Like, right. like a lot of our athletes, they might just do one or two exercises during this, yeah, and then that's it. Then they'll do the rest of their stuff, um, you know. And we'll see. We we've, we've tried playing with it at various parts of people's programs. Like, should we do it at the beginning? Should we do it at the end? And you know, it depends on where they are in the sequence. But if you're doing it with other like bigger movements and loaded movements, just make sure you probably do the BFR at the end because they the whole goal of it is to be fatigued. Yes, right. So you're going to get less out of your other work if you do it before. Yes, right. So. Even just one day, it was funny. I had a post-op patient coming, you know, back, you know, some uh, baseball catcher who's coming back from this. And we were doing some like isometric mid-thigh pulls on our force plates, almost like as an exercise, but like yeah. still, you know, isometric exercise for force production, but we were also quantifying it. And um, he was getting more and more advanced with his exercises in the BFR. And then we, we, we got to a point where all of a sudden his, his isometric mid-thigh pull was going down. But it was because we were just, 
being, I don't want to say lazy, but like we're in the PT clinic, we're doing his table exercises, we get him going, then we go out to the gym. But he was getting so fatigued from it that we had to just reverse that order. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, his isometric mid-thigh just went through the roof and you start seeing it scale back up because we did it at the right time. So, you know, that's probably common sense, but, right. you know, just worth saying, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So it's been a while since you've been on. You've already done the big question. So I want to take this in a little bit different direction. What's the most impactful change that you've made to your coaching or rehab practices in the past four to five years? Mm, I like that. Um, I will say, and not that I was necessarily deficient at this earlier. I would say the biggest thing I've done, and we kind of talked about this a little bit leadership, is flipping the script and just thinking we're a service-based industry. Mm-hmm. And my coaching, my therapy is is to serve the person, right? It's not about my objectives. It's not about my goals for that person. It's for helping them achieve their goals, right? And I think a lot of young people in this field, they come in and they have a, a dream plan for that person. They come in, maybe you're a coach, you bring them through your movement assessment, the table assessment, you, you talked about their goals, and then you go home like, I'm going to write a killer program for this person, right? But sometimes that's not what the person's looking for necessarily. You didn't take maybe their, their thoughts or their goals or what they wanted out of that. You thought I have the best program for that person. Uh, for me, I think that's the first thing I, I'm trying to do now. I, I'm trying to put myself in the other way around and thinking, you know, it's a service-based industry and trying to flip the script when I start to think about how I'm going to program people. Yeah. I love that, man. And it's very hard. I think early on, there's a lot of ego and bravado just in the industry, right? I'm sure I had it coming up. It's like, hey, man, I thought I was a pretty damn good coach. Well before I really right. was a pretty damn good coach. But <laughs> you, you need a little bit of confidence and a little bit of swagger. But you know, I think the longer you do this, the more you realize like, hey, man, it's really not about me. It's really all about this person, uh, their goals, what they want to achieve from working with you, this athlete, the things that they can achieve in their career. Like, hey, man, if you can just step back and put your ego on hold, you can do some really cool things in this industry for sure. Yeah, and it's funny. You see a lot of young people, they get caught up in, you know, they get they get caught up in like, well, you know, what they want and not necessarily what the other person wants. Yes. I'm a guide. They hire, they hire me. I'm here to help facilitate your dream, your goal, right? So yep. we got to work together on that. And I just think that like that change in mindset, I think – has just been helpful. Even though it's subtle, I, I, I think it's helpful. I love it, man. Okay, so lightning round. Four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. Ready? Whoa. Okay. Yep. Number one, since you've basically given away the whole farm on BFR training, I feel like it's only fair if you talk to us a little bit about the course that you created on this topic, because it's really good. <laughs> uh, well, th- yeah, that one's quick. So myself, one of my friends, Dan Lorenz, another, uh, you know, well-established physical therapist, and sports performance coach out there. Um, we teamed up, we made an online program teaching you how to use BFR. So the history, the science, how to apply it, how to pick the right cuffs, um, that sort of thing. Like a, a really a good, deep educational program because we do think that this is real. We do think it's appropriate. We, I don't think you need to go through this like crazy certification process. Like I want more people to be able to learn it. So we wanted to give a, a really good applicable program that you can do at home and get started. So yeah. um, it's just on my website, MikeRinald.com. And if you go to the courses, you'll see the blood flow restriction one. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we just wanted to put something together so that way, you know, more people can do it. Right. And it's, right. you know, super affordable and just, it, I, we want it to be accessible to more people. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, number two, what did you change about your business during and after the pandemic to help you survive? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny. We, we talk about this as, as uh, a team here, quite a bit of champion. Um, there's a lot of things we did that got us through the pandemic that we are so happy and we'll never change back, like yeah. online scheduling and just like little things like that, like some of the nuts and bolts with stuff like that. But you know what? What? What COVID really did with us is it helped us really streamline that red velvet rope around the type of clients that we want here Mm. and the clients that we all thrive off of. So we're passionate about that type of thing. So because we had restrictions on, on who could come and the capacities and stuff like that, we got really strict with trying to identify our ideal type of client. 
the, the people that bring us energy and the people that we can really help. Um, and we really focused on them. And then now, lo and behold, when our capacity is back up and we can we can get up, it's filled now with our ideal clients instead of some people that maybe, you know, got through the cracks, but you didn't want to say no prior. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I, I think that's what happened, you know, really nice for us. I think taking a step back like a champion, we're going to we're going to look back and be grateful for this experience because it's helped us mature a little bit. Yeah. Dude, that's such a great point. And I'm, I hope the people that have left iFast over the years don't necessarily hear this. But, you know, people always ask coming out of the pandemic, like, okay, well, like, what is your business like, right? Like, it's a it's a common question to ask. Like, you're still here, right. but how did it get impacted? And I always told people, you know, like, yeah, you know, we probably lost like 5 to 10% of people that were just either, you know, they were scared to come back or maybe whatever, like just fearful of going back into a gym environment, which is fine. But then we probably lost legitimately another 5 to 10% where like they probably just weren't the right fit at the gym right. anymore. So it was like the best thing for everybody involved, right? Because you know right. too, like it's one thing to have your ideal client because you want to provide a great service, but it's got to be a great experience for them too, right? So like if you're not yep. meshing, it ultimately ends up working out better for everybody. So I kind of relayed it like that. Like, hey, look, yeah, we lost some people, but those people were probably on their way out the door anyways. So it was actually right. a good thing in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a good example of that with us, like Champion, for example, like in our, our service line at the gym, like we got rid of like our, our group training. Yeah. Like we, we, we had classes in the morning, like the classes, like, yeah. and I don't even know why we did it. I think it was just cause we thought we were supposed to, right? Like right. especially when we started in 2013, 2014, like we we're, well, you're supposed to have like, you know, group training, group classes, right. that was all the rage and, and it kept on it. And you know what? Like not, our coaches hated it probably as much as everybody else. You know what I mean? It just, it wasn't a good fit for anybody. So we right. got rid of those and it's all semi-private in, in the team training people that we had, the, the group training people that stayed on with us, they love the semi-private environment even more. Yeah. They're so grateful they did. And and it's been a win-win for everybody. And not just the business, not just the clients, but the coaches. Yeah. Coaches like that, they, they weren't passionate about like, rah, rah, let's all, let's go through the circuit together. They want right. to actually program and coach for people, you know? Right. I love it, man. Okay. Number three, and hoping you have some inside information here, but man, dude, when are we going to see some, <laughs> when are we going to see some pro baseball, man? My son, uh, every no day, way. every day my son asks, is the lockdown, is the lockout over yet? When, <laughs> when are they going to play baseball? It, you know, it's been crazy too, because this is like our third spring training in a row where it hasn't, we haven't had anything, yeah. right? Or it's been yeah. disrupted. And what, what people don't realize um, is, and you, you'll appreciate this as the performance coach, our job is to keep these guys healthy and to get the most out of them and to help them enhance their performance. When we don't have the right spring training buildup, yeah. everything we've planned for, and it's all out the window. Yeah. And it's it's almost like retrospective and, and panic a little bit now. So they're going to handcuff us again. We're going to rush to spring training. We're going to have an abbreviated schedule. We're going right, to get right back into it. That kills us on the inside as like the, the health and performance departments. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but to answer your question, I have no insight. Nobody has any insight <laughs> except for the attorneys on both sides. Right. So um, yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, I, I think for the greater good of the game, like, you know, again, just like everything else, hopefully we come out better from this and, and we get back to it because, you know, we're sad. We want to get back to our game. I love it, man. For sure. Okay. <laughs> Last but not least, number four, what's next for Mike Reinold, dude? I mean, world domination is like at your fingertips. So like, what are you working on now? What are you excited about? I'm trying to get under a 10 handicap in my golf game. Okay. That's an important goal for me right yeah, now. Yeah, I love uh, it. I, I always... I always try to have personal goals as well as like professional goals and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'm about to embark on this presidency of the, of the sports Academy uh, with PTs. Um, and it, for me, it's, it's just about continuing to build, right. Continue to build, um, you know, my, my leadership skills. So that way we can help people evolve, but uh, I'm just going to focus on that stuff. And, and I don't know at the end of this term and you know, where we'll be, I'm not sure. Um, you know, like a lot of people, you know, this is champions been around now for about eight years, maybe a little bit more than eight years, which is crazy to think yeah. of, by the way. Um, I, I've, my career has gone through like eight year cycles. Right. So I, and I think that's why I'm getting into more. I, okay, I'll, let me go work with the white Sox. Let me do the Academy stuff. It's, it's because like we've created champion and it's great. Now I want to go create other things. 
Yeah. Right. I want to create these other things. So I guess I'm creative. So, um, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that and then, you know, we'll see, but, um, I guess my eight year clock starting now, we'll have this conversation again when you invite me back in eight years, because that's the cadence you've Dude, been on with. Me. If we go so. eight years, man, we got big problems. You need to like send me some hate mail or something. <laughs> well, same for me too. I mean, we keep saying that, but when was your first blog post? What year? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. 2006 or 2007? Yeah. Were you like a T-Nation guy and stuff yes. back then? Like, yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that was hot back then. I, I think I started my blog in 2008. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. you know, Eric, Eric Cressy and I, you know, we're, we're, we're friends. We, we cracked out. Uh, we've cracked up about this in the past. But, like, we I used to write, like, two, three blog posts a week for, like, oh, a yeah. decade. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like people don't people don't appreciate that now. Like, like you know, what what that is, but you know, we we have longevity, Mike. That's why we're still here, I guess. Yes. Well, and look, it takes a lot longer to write a thousand or two thousand word blog post than it does to shoot a two or three minute video on Instagram. So, just I, I agree. I just agree. saying, we earned our stripes, dude. We put in some work. That's for sure. <laughs> I like it. I like it. We'll see, but uh, yeah, but yeah. I love it, man. Well, Mike, it's been amazing catching up with you today. Thanks so much for your time. Where can my listeners find out more about you and the great work that you're doing? I, I'm easy. Just if you go to my website, just MikeReynold.com. That's kind of my hub. Um, you can get access to you know my my blog, my podcast, um, uh, my uh, courses that we have online. Um, I have a bunch of different variety of things for people, and then all my social media accounts you can get through there as well. It's just it's just easy there. But I'm kind of everywhere. I'm like you, Mike. We're kind of like we're we're a little every everywhere. Yeah. So you know whatever medium you like, but um, but but we're getting there. But um, about to start a new kind of podcast that's more interview based. So okay. heads up, you may be getting an email. Let's go to man. Uh, to, to, to to get you on my podcast and stuff. I, but uh, but it. yeah, yeah. Just let Should me know, fun, dude. But yeah. I, I love it, man. I love it. Well, again, Mike, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And you were great, my guy. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it again. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. All right, my friend. That does it for this week's show with Mike Reinold. Really hope you enjoyed it. Not to leave you hanging, in case you were wondering, it took about two and a half days for the delayed onset muscle soreness to fully clear from my arm. So definitely enjoyed the workout, definitely feel like I got my money's worth out of the cuffs, and excited to start using them more. I feel like I've got a lot of clients, a lot of athletes that I want to be using this kind of stuff with, and... And there's a lot of application out there. So whether you've been doing this for years already or whether you're new to the game, I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you took a thing or two away from it. So got one favor to ask. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please take two seconds out of your day and do that right now. Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcasts, Go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.